Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. I've been with you here uh, every step of the way uh, on, on this on this fun little podcast adventure that we've been doing, talking to some of the best people in the football industry uh, in order to get, uh, I should say, not just football. We've had some other other types of writers on here, but in the writing industry in order to uh, kind of help other people find a way to get started here. You know, we're listening to some really great stories from people and we have a great guest today, um, a man who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyways, because that's how you do things here on podcasts. Uh, he's the lead NFL draft and NFL writer for Bleacher Report and at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, Mr. Matt Miller. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. It's uh, it's good to be on with you. I've listened to a lot of these, so it's kind of it's always weird to me still to be like asked to do podcasts that I listen to. It's like, oh yeah, of course, like yeah, I love to do that. So you've gotten me through some long drives to the airport and back. That's for sure. So so it's a uh, I'm honored to be on, man. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, obviously I've been driving across the country, so I feel you on uh, listening to to podcasts and and it's always you know I don't know if you if the, and this is like not a humble brag, but it's going to come off as one and whatever it's, it is what it is. But it's always weird to hear yourself like referenced on podcasts, kind of unsolicited. That's the oh yeah, that's been the weirdest adjustment uh, to me. Like podcasts that I listen to all the time, and then I'll hear them say like, "Well, Matt Harmon said." I'm like, "That guy? Who the hell cares what he says?" <laughs> I've had that happen with my friends in the truck with me and somebody will be like, you know, like uh, we were listening to Daniel Jeremiah once and he was like something about Matt Miller and my buddy like shot me this like look across the truck like, holy shit, like that's you like he's talking about you and it's like, yeah, it's, it's still weird because like, you know, I still think of myself as just this, you know, regular small town dude with normal friends and and then you then you hear your name mentioned and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this stuff still happens. I know it, it's really weird. And I mean, you've been doing this longer than I have, but it is always funny to see that. And and just kind of, yeah, like you said, I, I always say it on this podcast, like, I feel like I'm just, you know, another idiot on his couch talking about football. And, uh, it's, you know, somebody just happens to happens to pay me to, to do it. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I'm uh, just, you know, another person, but kind of leading off that a little bit, you know, Matt, you've obviously come a long way in the industry, but uh, going back to that sort of regular person thing, how did you first kind of come to to fall in love with the game of football? Oh man, you know, I, I've asked my older brothers this because I, I was so young that I actually can't remember. Like just as long as I have memories, I was the guy who was obsessed with football. And, you know, it was like every Saturday and Sunday watching, watching college and NFL games, you know, collecting trader cards and, and memorizing all the stats on the back of those. And like, I was just obsessed with it from like, uh, like I said, my earliest memories. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's funny because like my parents aren't athletic people. Like they, they enjoy sports, but like I wasn't brought up in a household where I kind of inherited being a fan. And even my two older brothers, like they, they like football, but they're, they're not obsessed like myself and my younger brother are. So it's really kind of like this, you know, it's this, where did all this come from type thing? And it's just, it's always really been just something that I, that I loved. I loved playing football. I loved talking about it, loved watching it. So it was always just kind of like, you know, everybody has like in your group of friends, you have the guy who's like, Oh, you know, you might have the nerd, you might have the basketball player, you might have the tough guy, you might have the musician. Like I was just the guy who loved football and that was always kind of my identity. Oh, that's funny. You mentioned like that, that guy in your group of friends thinking about myself. I think I've been each one of those guys, except the tough guy. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've been the nerd, the guy that likes music and the, the one that's obsessed with football kind of all at once. But yeah, that's really fascinating. So how many brothers do you have? 
I have three. Yeah. So there's four of us boys and yeah, my younger brother coaches football. He helps me with the NFL 1000 stuff. So it's like the, the two younger of us like got bit by the football bug pretty hard. My two older brothers like, yeah, they'll watch, they'll have a conversation about it, but like they're not obsessed with it. Like the, the, the two of us are. Yeah, that's hilarious. We could not be coming from two two different perspectives there because I have three sisters and and no brothers. And uh, <laughs> if you can, yeah. it probably has influenced more of uh, my vanity uh, than than anything else, and that obsession <laughs> with appearance and things of that nature. But uh, yeah, shouts to my sisters for sure. Uh, but that that's that's pretty cool because you know I've obviously come from I've come from a little bit of a different place. With uh, I was never into football. So did you ever play or or anything like that? Well, I, I think I know the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I played. Um, I played from sixth grade on. I was actually like where I live. I grew up in a really small town in Missouri, seven hundred people. So like we didn't have youth football like they have now. You know, the town I live in now, you can start in like second grade. Um, so I had to wait to play until sixth grade. Before that, I was in karate, um, played a little bit of basketball, but started playing football as early as I could, and then played up until my senior year of high school. Um, uh, this is kind of, this is a personal note. A lot of people probably don't know this. I didn't get to play football my senior year of high school because, uh, my junior year, I got my girlfriend pregnant. So oh, the boy. school district in this very backwoods conservative part of Missouri said that because my girlfriend had just had a baby and she was homebound for the first semester of school, I wasn't able to play football. So it was this weird, like, you know, political thing that went down. So I, I did play and then I coached high school football for a few years. I coached minor league football for a few years. Um, I always joke with people. I was a better coach even in high school than I was a player. You know, our, our head coach who I, I still talk to all the time, you know, he would keep me beside him on the sidelines to talk about like strategy and then send somebody else in to execute what we were talking about. So I was, you know, I played, but I was a pretty average athlete. Wait, so that was actually a rule that because you you your girl you got your girlfriend pregnant, like you couldn't then you couldn't play football. That was like an, a yeah. hard and fast rule. Yeah, it's been like fifteen years, so my memory might be a little foggy, but that's how I remember it. That's how my parents remember it. It was just like it was kind of an epidemic around here, though. You know, like I said, I'm from a small town, and I gosh, I think like twenty percent of the people in my graduating class were a parent. You know, by the time it was all said and done, so. It's wow. not a whole lot to do in Missouri. I guess we were entertaining ourselves in the wrong way or something. <laughs> well, the wrong way. That depends on your perspective, yeah. I think. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So kind of a jumping off that, discussing that more, if, if you don't mind. Like, how has that kind of, yeah. you know, obviously you had a, a kid at a, at a very young age. Um, that's something I certainly cannot relate to. Um, how, how has that kind of changed your, your life path in a way? Oh, it's, it was huge. Um, it still is, you know, my daughter's almost 16 now. So, um, I had to grow up fast, you know, and that's probably obvious. That's probably what everybody thinks of, but the biggest change for me was, you know, when I was, you know, before, before Haley was born, my goal was to, you know, I wanted to be a general manager. I wanted to be a scout. Mm -hmm. And so it was, okay, how do I go about this? And I was already kind of working toward that goal. You know, I was self-educating a lot by reading. Uh, I was, you know, FedExing, letters and scouting reports to NFL front offices, you know, even as a teenager, just trying to get my foot in the door. And this was right when the internet was also kind of blowing up, you know, like 99, 2000, 2001. So, you know, I was finding, you know, NFL draft websites and, and starting to try to work for them just to any way to get my foot in the door. But, you know, when you're, when you're 17 and you become a dad, it's like, okay, I got to speed everything up. So I went to school to be a paramedic because it was a good paying job and I only had to go to school for a year. So it was like, I got to get, into the workforce, I have to start supporting this child. So it, I would say that was the biggest way that it affected me was that 
you know, I, I didn't get to go down the path that I wanted. You know, I, I wanted to go to like the University of Missouri for journalism and, you know, eventually work in scouting. So instead it was like, okay, I'm going to go to, you know, Missouri Southern, be a paramedic. And, and that's what I did. You know, I worked in the, the medical field for about five years, burnout on it. But the whole time I was doing that, it, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because, you know, when you work in the medical field, a lot of times you work three days a week, you work three 12 hour shifts. So the rest of the time I was able to coach football, you know, I was able to get enough hours to be a, a basically a full-time substitute teacher. So I got to be around the kids I was coaching. Um, it, it allowed me a lot of time to write a lot of time to learn, you know, about, about scouting, about coaching. So it, it all kind of ended up working out in the end, obviously, but it was a, a very like twisty long path to the, the original goal. Yeah, right. Now that makes that makes a lot of sense. And definitely the, the growing up fast and then having to kind of like your life turns upside down. I imagine that is a, certainly kind of an, a, a, a theme for anybody that, that that deals with that. And but it's cool, though. And, you know, I, I'm I don't know about you, but I definitely believe that everything like happens for a reason. And uh, yep. I think sometimes I was talking about this with a, with a buddy recently, like I think that sometimes our biggest triumphs are um, are, are born out of like our biggest tribulations in a, in a way. And I think that's certainly. Oh, yeah. For you. Yeah, you know, and and you know, it's easy to say that, especially when you can look back on it. You know, like yes. oh, for you, you know, like you you have this great story. You know, you lost a hundred pounds, and you're like this, you know, inspiration to so many people now. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you can kind of relate. You know, of this like that thing that when you're going through it, you're like, why did I get myself into this? You know, this is awful. And and but then you can look back and be like, gosh, this is probably like the greatest thing I've ever done. You know, is is coming through this. And then you can you know, like you did, you can write an article about it. You can, you know, share your story with people. So it, it definitely is kind of nice at the end when you, when you can be an inspiration or, or, you know, you hope you are at least. Yeah, sure. And, and it is, that is definitely true. Like, I think we were talking about this with Graham Barfield last episode that, you know, he described his, his moment of that as like the best and worst moment of his life. And I can totally relate to that, but that best perspective only comes in hindsight. Like, Go, right. If I was to go back at like now, tra- like travel in time, like three years ago and tell like myself that was, you know, a hundred pounds heavier and, and suffering from depression and be like, no, 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 trust me. This is, this is good. This is a good thing. I would not buy that. You know, that's right. So that's yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess kind of spinning a little bit further for you, like, so you've always kind of had the, since you became a coach and everything like that, then you kind of always had this, this dream of being an NFL scout. Right. Yeah. That was always my goal. It's funny because in high school, you know, they're like, what do you want to be when you, when you graduate? What do you, and it's like, I want to work in the NFL. And people kind of look at you like, okay, like you're a 5'11", like slow white kid. You're not going to play in the NFL. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. But like, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to be involved with football, whether that was coaching or scouting or, you know, like my hero growing up was Bill Walsh. And like, that was what I wanted to do, you know? And so I would look at guys like Mike Holmgren who had like a, you know, he started as a high school math teacher and ended up as a Super Bowl winning coach. I look at those guys as kind of my like inspiration of, okay, other people have gone about this in a kind of backward way and still reached their goal. So that was, you know, really what I was trying to do. Even when I got into coaching, I always thought like, okay, one day I'm going to, you know, parlay this into a scouting job for an NFL team. But then and like you said at the beginning, this isn't a humble brag at all, but like the the more I learned about how scouts work in the NFL like honestly the less I kind of wanted that job and it was like man I love football and I love scouting and I love the NFL draft but like I I can't be on the road 200 days a year for $30,000 like I have I I have a family you know how am I how am I gonna make this work 
And I honestly just kind of fell into what I do now. Yeah. So kind of let's talk about that a little bit because we had Matt Williamson on at the beginning of this process, episode seven, I think it was. And that feels like a hundred years ago at this point. Um, <laughs> and he, he's the, he, you know, used to work in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns for, right. for a year. And I think we talked about that a little bit with him, but if somebody didn't listen to that episode one, Hey, go back and listen to it. You know, these things are evergreen, but uh, kind of talk about that a little bit more here. It's not the glamorous position that some people might imagine it is correct. It's not at all. And, you know, I made it as far as talking to a GM of one team right before Bleacher Report hired me. And it was like, you know, you're getting old enough. He was saying to me that you kind of need to take a shot at this if you're going to, because this is a young man's game to break into. And I was just like, man, I don't I don't think I can do it because it's so much time away and it's not glamorous. You know, you you will spend 200 to 230 days a year on the road depending on the team you work for, you're driving your own car from these places. I have a friend who works for a team. He's based out of Atlanta, but he scouts the Northeast. So he will fly to Pittsburgh, rent a car, <laughs> drive all over the Northeast. And, and he's lucky because he's able to rent a car. A lot of, a lot of places you're driving your own car, putting a hundred thousand miles on it a year and, and you're not paid very well. That's the other thing. And you know, when you're 24, 30 grand, you can do that. You can make that work. You know, I'm 32 You, with two kids who want to go to college someday. Like right. it, that's, that's not very practical. So it, it is a, you know, it's a young man's game. And it's like you said so, so well, it's not glamorous because you might go to 15 schools and scout 120 kids and none of them get drafted by your team. And no one will ever see those reports. You know, like what I do doesn't influence the NFL, but the thing I like about it is like people can see what I do. Like I'm able to share my opinions. I'm able to share my work. That would be the hardest thing for me working for a team would be staying behind those closed doors, which is why I think we see so many of the anonymous scout type things right. because like those guys are working their tails off and they just want someone to listen to them a lot of the time. So there, there are definitely a lot of outlets that, you know, and I'm, I'm one of those outlets that will you know talk to these guys and be like, what do you think about so-and-so? And, Sometimes people use that for positive things. Sometimes you use it for negative, just depending on your, you know, your outlook on life. But mm. um, for a team is a labor of love without a doubt. You know, that's funny, Matt. I've never thought about it from, from that perspective, but I can, I mean, I can definitely relate as a writer. Like I remember just as an example this year, uh, when Anquan Bolden visited the Wash or the the Washington football team, uh, the the Washington Post where I freelance for asked me for like, hey, can you have a reception perception ready for him just in case he signs? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I wrote up like 800 words on Anquan Bolden's fit with the with with Washington, and I'm sitting there typing it like, damn it, this is never gonna like he's not gonna sign no. here. <laughs> this shit is right. never gonna get seen by anybody. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, it still sits just in the in the in the dungeons there. And that's that's kind of, like as a writer, I find that you know incredibly frustrating. So I've never thought about it from that anonymous scout perspective. Like, hey, these guys never get asked, you know, maybe, and they have right. to have all these reports ready that their opinion is never gonna get seen, but by, by anybody in the team. And I think well, there's one thing that we've heard from a lot of teams is that sometimes the scouts' opinions aren't even really considered that much as much as just data collecting. And then, you know, the GM and the coach will make the decision, you know, kind of regardless. Yeah, no, those guys, and I know Daniel Jeremiah has said this, they're more like private investigator than they are football yeah. scout anymore because, like you said, it's data collection. And the one thing that teams do rely on is, okay, you're the, you're the SEC scout. You have connections at those schools. We want you to go in and get all the dirt on these players. And right. that – 
that information they care about. But, oh, can he play? Like you said, the GM and the director college scouting, the director of player personnel, and the coach, they're going to be the ones who ultimately decide if this kid can play or not. Um, you know, every team's different. I know people who come from the Ron Wolf school of thought, whether that's Ted Thompson or, or Trent Baalke or Josh Schneider, like they let their scouts have a lot of input, but there are other places where these scouts, like they're not even in the room on draft day. They're not even in town. They might be back home watching the draft on TV like everybody else. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, and it's a tough, like, it's a tough gig uh, to move up in too, because there's only 32 GM spots, you know, and it's, well, it's, it's right. kind of similar to, to what we do, you know, in the, in the media that there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more supply of great writers than there is a demand for great writers, you know? And yeah, I, I think, think there's, yeah, there's a lot of like commonalities between NFL scouts and NFL draft media, because like you said, there's only 32 GM spots. There are only, a handful of like high profile, you know, draft gigs, ESPN, NFL network are, are really the top two. So it's, it is, there's a lot of supply for very little demand and there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of turnover in the first few years. You know, I, I see a lot of young guys having done this as long as I have, who are, are really sharp, really talented. They have a lot of potential and they just burn out. You know, mm -hmm. it's like two or three years of watching all this tape and you feel like no one's reading your articles or your website's not getting the traffic you want. You're not making any money at it. Like it's, it's very, very easy to burn out. And that's one area I was lucky that I actually had a, like a full-time job that, that kind of, I always looked at the draft as a hobby. You know, it was like, yeah, I would love to do it full time, but at the end of the day, it's probably just a hobby for me ultimately. And I think that's one of the reasons that I didn't burn out early on or give up was because I, I never actually thought I would like turn it into a full-time job. Yeah, that's true. And that's, you know, I had approached it from from a different perspective. Like I was I was grinding to kind of like hopefully land that job. And I, I mean, I did. But, you know, there's no telling that if in like two or three years, I just like I am, you know, I'm just done with this. And, you know, we like you said, I can name plenty of really talented people that are that are probably better at this than I am that, uh, you know, it just happens one way or another uh, for people. And that burnout is definitely real. Like You mentioned parallels between the NFL scouting and NFL media like, you know, underpaid and overworked that can definitely <laughs> that can definitely be a thing in, in our in our side of the world but Matt kind of transitioning a little bit back to, to to your story here so obviously no not as much interest in being an NFL scout once you kind of realize that it's just not a fit with your life how did you first get started you know writing and or in the media side of things yeah, man. It started early for me. It's funny. After my freshman year of high school, the journalism teacher like recruited me. He like stopped me in the hall and would be like, you have to join like the journalism staff. You know, we want you to be a part of this. And it's like, okay, sure, whatever. I'll, I'll give it a try. And so I started writing about games, you know, like football games, basketball games, just whatever, doing the little school newspaper recaps. And like, I loved that. You know, I loved writing about something, uh, having an opinion and having people read it. Like, that is like strokes your ego a little bit, you know, to be like, oh man, everybody in school is reading what I write. And even in a small school, it, it kind of, you know, was like, okay, I, I want to keep doing this. And I, I really liked it. So as I mentioned earlier, it was kind of the, the early internet days, you know, at least in rural Missouri at that time. So it was like, you know, I was already on a lot of forums reading about the NFL draft and was like, you know, making a lot of posts there. And there was a website called NFL draft blitz, um, and I think it actually still exists. Um, and, and the guy was the, who ran it was like, you know, I see you're on the forums all the time. You have a lot of good opinions. You want to try writing? And I was like, yeah, you know, like that's, we'll love to do that. So I got like a, 
it's not even a job because I did it free um, covering the San Francisco 49ers draft classes. I think I was a senior in high school and uh, I swear to God, I've been doing this ever since then, since, mm -hmm. since, uh, you know, the 2001 draft, I've been writing about the draft in some way, shape or form. You know, I would not say what I was doing then was scouting. You know, I was regurgitating opinions and, and, you know, doing a lot of, you know, yeah, I watched these guys on Saturday, but I didn't know what the hell I was looking for. You know, it was like, yeah, this guy's good. This guy's not good. But, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of credibility to, to my opinion. Then I, I don't know if there is now either, but there was absolutely none then. Um, so yeah, way back to 2001, I've been, watching the draft, watching college football, you know, writing about it. And then um, from 2001 until like 2010, like I said, it was just a hobby. It was just something I kind of did on the side. And the the way I got to Bleach Report, I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead too much. You can tell me if I am. Hey, um, take the, wheel. The, way, the, way, the way I got to Bleach Report was I was working in marketing and I'd been at that job, um, geez, since 2006, I think. And I hated it. Like I, I mean, I hated it you know, more than anything. You know, it was I didn't want to go to work every day. It was it was just had become this kind of drain on my life because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and so I started just applying to newsletters that would send out like journalism jobs. And you know, I was I, I had my own website at that point, uh, New Era Scouting, which had a like a very small cult following, but a good one. Like you know, the people seemed to really enjoy what we did, and I thought my actual goal was to try to like sell it to a bigger outlet, whether it was, you know, ESPN or Yahoo or whoever. And, you know, that would be like a secondary source of income and I would get to write about the draft. Well, because of these newsletters I subscribed to, I'd get an email one day that this company I'd never heard of called Bleacher Report was looking for NFL writers. So I'm like clicking that link, like who the hell is Bleacher Report? You know, like what is, what is this? And you didn't have to have a college degree, which was important to me because I didn't go to journalism school. And, you know, they were really just like uh, taking anyone at that point who would, you know, apply and pass the, you know, kind of the background check as far as you were as a writer. So, you know, I sent in a resume. I sent in three writing samples. I think they emailed me back like within 30 minutes and they were like, hey, you know, we really like your stuff. We don't have anyone who covers the draft. This was in uh, late October of 2010. And they were like, you know, draft season's kind of heating up. We'd love to make you our, our featured draft writer. And it, it literally snowballed from there. Like mm. they hired me full time or they hired me part time. I'm sorry, three months later. Um, and this was a Bleach Report didn't pay writers. So I was the first paid writer ever at Bleach Report, which is insane to think about. Um, so February uh, 2011, they start paying me part time. And I'm like, hell yeah, someone's paying my rent so I can write about football. Like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And and then in May of, of 2011, I quit my day job and started writing for Bleach Report full time. So, and like I said, I've, I've been there ever since, you know, five years later. So it's, it's pretty crazy how quickly it happened. And it's kind of why I always tell people like, you got to be ready for that opportunity because sometimes they come fast and you have to be able to recognize it and, and be willing to take some risk because I had never heard of Bleach Report. It's funny. I asked a friend of mine who worked in media, it's like, what do you think of Bleach Report? And he was like, don't do it. Like, you know, you don't want to work for that place. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of trust my instincts to do it anyway. And it ended up working out pretty well. Yeah. And we're definitely going to come back to that, like kind of negativity with Bleacher Report in the past in a little bit. But I, I want to circle back to a little bit there when you mentioned like you just at the beginning, you know, you're just regurgitating opinions and you're just, you, you know, you watch the games live and everything. How did you kind of develop that uh, from, from yeah. being the guy that regurgitates opinions and then how did you kind of develop into more of a, an independent scout on, on your own? 
Yeah, you know, I think I can remember disagreeing with Mel Kuyper and like shouting at the TV and being like, what We've the all been hell here. is he talking about? <laughs> you know, and I I love Mel. I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for that guy, but you know, he was he was the target, you know, early on. So it was like, what is he talking about? And so it was like this personal mission of mine was like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. And that's like a thing about my personality is like, I, I like to teach myself things, you know, like I, I like to, I like to read, I like to study, I like to learn new things. And that it was just like this, like you said, like a mission of like, I got to figure out like why I disagree with this guy. And I, I just started reading every book I could find on scouting. I started talking to every, I started with every football coach I knew like high school level, my mom worked with the lady whose husband coached college football. And it was like, you got to get me time with this guy. Like I got to talk to him. And it just, it like kind of consumed me this, like I, this quest of like, I, I have to learn more about the game. And, and so I just, I did, I just attacked people basically of like, you know, Hey, please teach me. And, and you mentioned Matt Williamson. He was one of the people who like first reached out to me early on and was really, really helpful in helping me learn like, okay, I know how to watch football. I, I knew how to break down film because of playing in high school and helping my coaches a lot, but I knew how to break down film from a, like a strengths and weaknesses. Like we're looking at the other team's weaknesses. How do we attack them? So it was like, how do I do this for an individual player? And Matt Williamson was really hardly Casterly was oddly helpful. You know, he was the GM in Houston at the time and I'm just this punk kid. And he's like, call it. We're talking on the phone and he's helping me with stuff. And, Bill Polian was the same way. Michael Lombardi was that way. Like these guys who were running teams for whatever reason, I, I guess they thought I was just some like, you know, oh, this little kid wants to be a scout. How cute. And, you know, just so they were willing to talk to me about the game and stuff. So I, you know, I went on this, you know, kind of journey of just trying to teach myself and, and I'm still doing that, you know, like I'm, yeah. you know, my big thing this summer is I, I'm determined to learn more about offensive line play because, you know, I, I never played O-line. I never coached it. Like I, and I think my, my theories of what I'm looking for at that position are constantly changing. So that's a big thing right now is, you know, constantly trying to learn and get better at it. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I feel like everybody, when they're like, Hey, what do I, what should I get better at in terms of watching film, watching offensive line and learning how to, to, to go into that. I feel like is always everybody's answer. I feel like those of us that aren't like the O-line guys are like always trying to play catch up with, uh, with offensive line. Right. And you think uh, you might know offensive line play until you talk to one of those guys, oh, and then you're like, "I'm an idiot. Like yeah, I, I know nothing." So yeah, yeah absolutely. And and there's definitely some uh, there's some gold in like having kind of a niche or whatever. And then like especially when when your niche is not the other person's and talking to them, you realize just like, "Oh my gosh, this is." There's just so much that goes into it. Um, it it's yeah. it's impressive. Uh, what, do you ever feel like? And I I guess I can kind of relate to what I think my answer would be to this question. Like, do you ever do you ever kind of still go into watching film and, like you said, learning with that sort of almost competitive or like obsessive, you know, drive to to do it and learn? Oh yeah, I'm like you know you you probably have noticed this on Twitter, but I'm like neurotic about things, you know, like, um, and I also, I think because I came into, into this job in such an odd way, like that, I don't have that, like, I don't know, cockiness of like, Oh, I belong here. I deserve this job. I'm more of a, I have to work my ass off every day to keep this job. So yeah. Like, I mean, you know, when the air raid first came out, I can remember 
like someone on Twitter disagreed with me about something. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was like, okay, I don't know anything about the air raid. I have to go study this and figure it out. And what books can I read? And, you know, so that's, you start talking to Chris Brown, you know, at smart football. And it's like, that dude knows the air raid. Like if I ever have a question about the air raid, that's who I go to. And, and so, you know, you build good relationships that way, but it is, it's definitely a competitive, whether it's with yourself or, you know, with the straw man that we all create that's coming for our jobs or, or, you know, just if you, you know, you want to appear intelligent when you're talking to fans online, like you, you have to learn these things. So, and, and it's weird because my job has changed so much over the last five years from, you know, primarily being an NFL writer and analyst and who covered the draft to now being, you know, a draft analyst who dabbles a little bit in covering the NFL. So, it, it's been it's been fun though but it's been really challenging to keep up with all the new trends and you know whether that was the air raid or the read option you know when that first hit the NFL which I, I was really fortunate because I had coached the read option um so when when that like kind of blew up in the NFL it was like oh I okay finally I actually know what I'm talking about a little bit so it it's constantly changing because there are so many trends and you now it's you know it's like the the big nickel defense and you know uh, how teams are going to combat that and it's it's constantly changing and shifting and, and I'm really hard on myself to stay, you know, to try to stay relevant and, and up with all the trends that are happening. Yeah, that's certainly true. You mentioned uh, smart football. I think, I don't remember if, um, if Josh Norris mentioned that on his episode or if we were just talking about it off air, but like, I think he said whenever, and I can totally relate, like whenever smart football, like it gets in your mentions and, and talks to you you're like, Oh shit. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little out of my depth here. <laughs> and, uh, right, and, right. yes, there was some discussion with him that like, I was having a discussion with Corey Coleman and, and about Baylor's offense. And I was like, Oh my God, I better not say anything stupid. Cause I know he'll, he'll know if I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you know, Chris is a great guy and oh, yeah. he, I think we are all a little intimidated by him because like you said, he has his niche and he knows it so well that, you don't want to be the moron who says something, you know, like, you know, about a route combination or something. And he's like, well, actually, but he's, he is very great at, at just helping people. So like, yeah. um, if people who are listening to this and want to get into scouting, haven't read his two books, mm-hmm. those would be the first two I would buy just because the depth of knowledge is great. They're not scouting books. You know, they're not going to teach you how to scout a quarterback, but just the, the foundation of knowledge there is pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's kind of like my approach with this podcast, you know, I don't think that you learn best from like a, a checklist, you know, like this is what you do here. This is what you do here. Sometimes I think you learn best from watching another person explain it or, or, or in Chris's case, you, you read the books and you just absorb knowledge through their display of knowledge. And I think that that's the goal of this podcast as well as, you know, listen to, listen to somebody like yourself or, or the other guests talk about their journey and hopefully you find uh, your, your place in there as well. Um, so I would do want to talk about Bleacher Report a little bit because it's quite different now than it was at, at when you first got in there. I mean, I remember I you mentioned, um, you mentioned the, the one of your friends or one of your friends in media was like, don't, uh, you know, don't bother with them. I remember having discussions with my friends, like when they would uh, like back in, you know, 2010 or, or even before then getting in arguments with, with one of my friends and they would bring up like, well, I read this on bleacher report. I was like, well, then you already know it's bullshit because it's bleacher. <laughs> and I remember like, back then, but obviously now it's quite, you know, it's quite different. You get, you know, you guys are bought by a big media company and it's a little bit different now. Right. Yeah, it is different. And, you know, it's funny because I have such a a different perspective on the media, you know, because I I didn't go to journalism school and all that. So 
when people would attack Bleach Report for like the list and the slideshows and be like, but, but that's what people are reading. Like, why are we mad about, you know, like delivering people exactly what they want? But yeah, the perception has definitely changed. Um, you know, I kind of live in my own little lane, so I don't notice as much like, you know, we've hired so many like, you know, big name respected people across so many sports, but I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm, I, it's weird because I'm still doing the same job now that I was doing in 2010, but now it's like, oh, you work for Bleacher Report. That's awesome. When before it's like you said, people were like, shut up, man, you work for Bleacher Report. <laughs> and you know, it's like, oh, okay. So it's weird that like, you know, now people will see like, if I'm wearing a BR jacket, they'll be like, oh man, I have your app. I love that. Whereas before, like some of my best friends could tell you where I worked, you know, it was just right. like, you know, it would be like, so wait, what do you do? Like you write about football for, you don't work for at ESPN, right? <laughs> like, no, like there are, there are actually places out there other than ESPN. And five years ago, you know, no one had really thought of that, but now it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think our goal is to overtake ESPN because we're very different companies, but you know, kind of to be a, a secondary option to ESPN is something I feel like we've done a really good job of. So it is cool to have seen the company kind of grow up and mature. You know, it's, it's not just some like warehouse in San Francisco with, you know, beer pong tables everywhere. And, you know, like 30 guys sitting around on beanbag chairs talking about sports. You know, now it's this huge, you know, international company with a London office and a, a New York office, a San Francisco office, you know, where, you know, I don't even know anymore in terms of traffic, how big we are. You, they right. have kind of stopped bragging about it, you know, behind closed doors. It's like, Oh, we're number two now. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, we, the the paychecks come and they clear and that's really all that matters to me anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. But there's there's certainly been a lot of turnover at, at Bleacher Report, like you mentioned uh, back in you know back in the day they did you know they were, they didn't pay writers or or now you were the first you're the first paid writer and everything like that. What do you think uh, about your approach? You know, if if you can if you can answer this question, has made you the one to kind of like the cockroach, the one that that sticks around regardless. <laughs> that's Sorry, that's really a great. No, 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 that that should be my nickname. I like that. Um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's not a matter of like can I or can't I answer the question because I don't want to piss anyone off, but I really don't know. I mean, I I think my approach to this job is kind of like I said earlier. I I work every day like there's someone out there who's there's a 24 year old version of me who would work a lot cheaper and, and might even, you know, is probably a better writer than me. Um, they might know more about the game than I do. So I just kind of work every day. Like there are people out there who can do my job better. So I have to constantly be willing to do the things that maybe other people wouldn't as much, you know, to take on any assignment that they want me to do. You know, if they want me to do an NFL 1000 series, which is insane. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Or, you know, we, anything that would ever come up you know i i try to make a habit of just not saying no to people because this is what i love doing you know it's like oh you want me to write about football and you're still gonna pay me to do it cool i'll, I'll do whatever so i think that has afforded me some lasting power you know is that kind of just been willing to, to take on a lot of different roles you know whether it was covering the nfl now you know doing almost all scouting and nfl draft stuff i, I think that's definitely helped me but I do think some of it is that they like the fact that I was kind of a homegrown talent and they can still, you know, that's, I, I think that's still in some ways like, you know, the pride and joy of Bleacher Report is this, you, you know, that you could, you could be a hobbyist or, you know, a, a, a guy in college who's you know going to journalism school or, or maybe, you know, media broadcasting or whatever, and you could turn it into a career. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that they've always liked that, 
you know, like you said, but I'm the cockroach that's still running around at night. But I, I think that there's, you know, there's something they're really proud of is that, you know, they, they kind of discovered me and no one, no one gave a shit about anything I was saying back then. I think if we got a thousand article clicks a, a week at New Era Scouting, you know, it was like time to celebrate. And if I ever wrote something now that only got a thousand clicks, I'd probably be laughed out of the building. Yeah, you'd be in trouble. You know, it, yeah, it's, you know, now it's like half a million, you know, for almost every article that goes up. So it's, I do think that they, they really like to be able to kind of trumpet the fact that, hey, here was this guy no one had ever heard of. And now a couple people have heard of him and, and this is what Bleacher Report can do for you. Yeah, that's for sure. I think every network wants to have their own, you know, homegrown talent like you for Bleacher Report or Katie Nolan for Fox Sports. Like every network wants that yeah. story. No network certainly wants to be the one that, you know, lets the Matt Miller or the Katie Nolan walk away. Like that's the former part of their resume, but they're doing something great for another another place. That yeah. is, that's that what is, I always tell people it's like NFL Network let Adam Schefter leave and they have yeah. to regret that every day. You know, it's like so um you know, it would be like ESPN letting, uh, you know, Mel Kuyper go like 30 years ago, it, mm-hmm. not saying Mel Kuyper and I are on the same level or ever will be, but you know, like you have a, a young person that people can identify. Like I, I would think that, you know, when people think of me, they associate it with Bleach Report and, you know, so like Mel Kuyper is the same way. When you think of Mel Kuyper, you think ESPN or, you know, Katie Nolan, who is freaking amazing. You know, mm-hmm. when I think of her, I think of Fox Sports one and, She's the first person I think of when I think of that network. I don't think of Colin Coward or Jason Whitlock or oh, that's good. any of the other people, you know? Yeah, thankfully. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I, sh- you know, she's, she's kicking ass right now, which is, is fantastic. Yeah. That's incredible. We should, man, it'd be great to have Katie on the podcast, but, uh, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if uh, I can make that happen. Uh, we'll see. Um, you, but, have, you, have, you have a lot of pool, man. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> if it's anything, yeah. If it's, We'll figure it out. Uh, like I said, yeah. there's, uh, you know, recently made the announcement that there'll be two seat, you know, at least a season two next off season. So, Hey, dream big everybody. But <laughs> Matt, I, I, one thing you mentioned was your NFL 1000 series. Um, and sometimes that catches a lot of flack in out there in the Twitterverse. If you, again, if you feel comfortable kind of talking about that, what's, what's your response yeah. to some of the, some of the criticisms of the NFL 1000 series? Uh, I just always, I don't know the individual critiques. Um, you know, this past year I was so busy that I, you know, we did a post-mortem meeting and people were like, well, what was the feedback on NFL 1000? And I was like, I have no idea because I went from NFL 1000 to the NFL draft 400, which is me, just me writing 400 scouting reports. So it was Holy like, hell. I don't know. And the NFL 1000 is myself as the lead scout. We have five or six like assistant scouts. So it's a group effort, you know, that kind of gets put under my name as like an umbrella type thing, which is more common than than people who don't follow the media closely would, would think, but very true. To the the criticisms, I would just say like, we're just a group of people watching the game and we have opinions about it. And if you took 10 people and put them in a room and they all watch the same play, half the people are going to have a different opinion of what created the player whose fault it was, or, you know, like, we're not trying to be pro football focused and grade every play. It's just a, you know, it's kind of a baseline. Let's look at the last year and let's evaluate these guys. And the, the original idea way back when NFL 1000 started was if all positions were created equal, who would be the best player in the NFL? And I think somewhere along the way, 
either I forgot to convey that message or people stopped reading the intro, <laughs> one of the two. That and happened. it was like, you know, so now people are like, how is Calvin Johnson not in the top, you know, 200 or whatever? It's like, listen, Calvin Johnson is not the same guy he used to be. So mm-hmm. I love the NFL 1000. I'm not sure that it's something that I'm going to continue to do just because my role keeps changing. But I think we've been ahead of a lot of trends. You know, I think we were really early on Chris Harris Jr. as being one of the best corners in the game. And you know, here he is now. Everyone knows who he is. So we've definitely had our misses and we've had some mistakes. And, you know, that's going to happen anytime you try to to write a thousand scouting reports. You have to watch about 13 to 1400 players. So there are going to be, there are going to be screw ups. Uh, a lot of those have been mine, um, you know, just being overwhelmed with the task and, or, you know, a real thing of scouting is you're having a bad day and you watch a player and that player somehow ends up being a, an NFL 1000, you know, world, that guy ends up being a 65 instead of an 85. And when the article comes out, you're like, what the hell was I thinking that day? Like, but it's too late to do anything about it at that point. So it's all opinion based. You know, like I said, we're not trying to be pro football focused. You know, we're just trying to do like our own unique thing and and start conversations and and hopefully educate people a little bit along the way. Yeah, for sure. And the the structure of it, you mentioned kind of again, we talked about this before, the juxtaposition of the the scouting world and the media, I guess. So it kind of in your opinion, it's a little bit like you're the, you know, you're the general manager and then it kind of right. branches off into different sort of, you know, scouts below that, that write the reports and it all goes under your name. But, you know, at the same time, like when a, uh, when an NFL general manager makes a draft pick, you know, they're the ones that are slammed for it. Not necessarily the, uh, you know, the regional <laughs> scout or whatever. Right. And that's the way we structured it that way on purpose. You know, it was, you know, hey, let's build this out because originally we were going to build it out like an like an NFL front office, and we we interviewed a ton of people, and then it was like, well, you know, let's scale this back a little bit and see, you know, one how we can still make money doing it, and you know, two, like, you know, let's let's not we don't need thirty two scouts working on this thing. Right. So it is, you know, and it's like, you know, if the Jets make a bad pick. Mike McCagnan's not going to throw his area scout under the bus. He's going to be like, yeah, it was, you know, I'm the general manager. It was my pick. And for the NFL 1000, I sign off on everything. You know, the the grades that the guys give me, a lot of that comes from me. I do write about 250 of the 1000 scouting reports, which when we first started, I wrote all 1000 that year. And it, it was a, a 12-month oh, no. project. So things have really changed. You know, now – there are, I think, five or six of us. We each, you know, each of the guys picks two positions, one on offense, one on defense, and they own that position from the start of preseason until the, the Super Bowl. So their their job is to scout those players. You know, each player has to play 200 snaps to be eligible. So it's like you have this guideline of who to watch. But at the end of the day, it's I'm signing off on everything. I'm writing a lot of the reports. I'm doing a lot of the grading myself. So it's it's definitely been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of good connections around the league because of it, but it is, um, it's one of those things that, yeah, I think we piss off more people than we, than we do make happy because, um, you know, everyone has their team and their players. And, you know, like if you're a a Luke Keekley fan, you feel like he should be a top five player in the NFL. But when you really start to be like, okay, you know, top five players, that's pretty exclusive, you know, and you're going to throw in, probably going to throw in Tom Brady and JJ Watt and then, you know, there are about 20 other guys you would like to put in that top five. So it, it gets tough. I I think sometimes people shoot first and ask questions later, which is pretty much Twitter in a, in a nutshell. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, I always talk on uh, talk on you know podcasts or or on Twitter and everything like how much I don't like rankings. Uh, and I just think it, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the process of it or the way I I have when it makes like my brain structure things. But at the same time, listen, I still do fantasy rankings for NFL.com because you know they're they're writing the checks, and I I'd, I'd like to pay rent and buy my dog food, so. You know exactly, yeah, yeah. And when the founder of Bleacher Report says he called me when the NFL 1000 started, and he was like, Hey, we have this crazy idea. When the founder of the company asked you to do something, and I had just started at the company, and I, you know, it was like, Oh, I, I have this dream job, and it's like, You're not gonna say no, you know, it's like, right. Okay, you want me to scout a thousand players? Let's do it, you know, like, could we have done the NFL 100 instead of 1000? Sure, but uh, I, I think it, it kind of helped the the series that it was incredibly over the top in, in the terms of how many people we were trying to evaluate. Oh, definitely. And uh, Matt, just a few more questions here as we're kind of winding down a little bit. Uh, you just you mentioned Twitter, uh, the like the the place that makes us and breaks us in, in a way in this in this industry. Uh, you have one hundred fifty thousand followers. That's that's a lot for one uh you and you but you often talk on twitter about the importance of social media in in this industry and everything what are you like how should writers that are looking to kind of make it in the in the industry how should they approach social media and specifically twitter well i think the the biggest thing with social media is you know for you know guys your age especially like it's it's your resume these days you know like and and the not to sound like an old man, but you know, like my daughter and probably people 16 to 32, like they grew up with social media and they're used to just sharing every thought they have, which isn't always a good thing. And like, I like to have fun. I like to, you know, I like to, to mix it up on Twitter as much as anybody, but I have a job so I can do that a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. I would have told myself 10 years ago, like, Hey, like don't post on here unless it's about where you're trying to get, you know, I think a lot of times some of the younger guys who I've encountered, they they get angry at the establishment and it's like, you know, we're all just human beings here. Like you, you don't have to get pissed off at me because your website's not getting traffic. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the reason for that. And so I I always think, you know, you want to use social media to build bridges, not burn them. And that's something that you don't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, especially on draft Twitter, which I think is just a cesspool of, awfulness most of the time you know you kind of really have to weed through the the crap to get to the the really really good valuable conversations that happen because so much of it is you know well i i like this guy and you don't you're an idiot and and that's probably like the nicest way that anyone would ever say that so i think social media is is really important now for building those connections that you know i mentioned i used to fedex nfl teams my information well now you can you can follow an NFL scout who works for an actual team on Twitter. And, you know, he might not have a public conversation with you, but you might be able to to have a direct message conversation and, you know, you can learn so much that way. And, and so that's what I would say, you know, is it's kind of corny, but you know, I look at Twitter as a way to not only build my audience and inform people, but also just to make connections that are going to be really important for me, whether that's with a player or a coach or a scout or whatever. Like, I don't know how many stories I've been able to break just because, a player follows me on Twitter, I follow him back and then boom, you have a, an instant connection to these guys who everyone wants to know more about. Yeah, that that's for sure. And you know, it, it's, it's difficult on, on Twitter and social media kind of having that sort of 
intelligent and positive debate. I think I talked about that last episode where I've just kind of completely sworn off debates that, that I can, that I can know going into it are going to go, I think this way. Well, I, yeah, I think this way. And then that's it. Like, yeah. And that can go on. I mean, that can go on and you, and I see it and it's like, I'll, I'll see people debate things that they're clearly never going to agree on. And I'll see it like 30 minutes. It'll go on. I'm like, that's going to go two tweets for me. And then, and then I'll drop that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> not because that's I, not, like, oh, yeah, you know, like that's why they play the game. Like, cool. <laughs> right. Like not, and it's not because I, like I, I'm backing down from my opinion or that I don't want to, like if we were at a bar or, you know, even just in person, alcohol doesn't have to be involved, but it makes it better. Uh, you know, and in any fashion like that, I would debate you till the, till the sun went down. We would talk about it all day and we'd probably make some progress on each other's opinions or at least inform each other. But at 140 characters at a time, it just turns, it just turns to shit <laughs> too quickly. Yeah. And people have the, this preconceived notion of who you are uh, right. online. If they've never met you, that's something that, as I get on travel more, people are, I've had people be genuinely surprised that I'm not an asshole. Right. They're like, why, why did you think I was going to be, you know, a dick? They're like, well, you're kind of, you know, salty on Twitter. It's like, well, I'm dealing with a lot of morons on Twitter. So yeah, I, if, if you're listening to this and you do think I'm an asshole on Twitter, I promise I'm not in real life. You know, it's just, you do, you deal with people who are constantly challenging your opinions and threatening your children. And, you know, it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, I, probably not always putting my best foot forward, but like you said, you know, it's, it's funny. My opinion on Twitter has changed so much because even a year ago, it was like, I think you put this really well. Like I have to back up every one of my opinions and like fight them to the death. Now it's just like, you know what, if you don't agree with me, let's just wait and see. And if I'm wrong, you can remind me and we're all going to laugh at it. It, you know, and that's really all you can do because it's like, politics or religion, you know, anymore, like sports <laughs> right. are the same way people like you cannot debate sports or, you know, you're, you're going down some fiery hole and it's just going to end at a bad place. Yeah. Right. Peyton or Peyton Manning, Tom Brady or Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. It's all, it all ends to the same, uh, <laughs> same feud in the end, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and I wrote a, like, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, like my, uh, my college thesis was on presentation of self, uh, on Twitter and, uh, taking like old social theories and, and reimagining them for the digital age. And if there's one thing that I think it's, so it's ironic now that I spend so much time on Twitter and presenting a self and I'm doing a lot of the things that I would critique in ways but i think the one thing that i've learned or at least i felt like because i've you've probably met more people from twitter than i have uh in my time in the industry of course like i feel like as much as people might get frustrated with me or or you might get frustrated with anybody else like i feel like if we all sat down and probably just met in real life nobody would really hate each other as much as they end up doing right. online that's the great thing about the senior bowl is like a lot of people are there from the industry and you actually do get to like sit down at a table with a guy and have a beer and just be like, right. you know, your, your perception of them completely changes. And it, it might be someone that you like really don't care for how they are on Twitter, but you really like them in person. And it, it kind of helps you mix the two. Like I'll, I'll say this because it's a colleague and I've told them this before. When I first started following Michael Felder on Twitter, I did not like him at all. It was like, why is this grown man live tweeting the Real Housewives of Atlanta? Like, what, what is this about? But then I met him for work and it was like, I love this guy. Like, I mean, and I do like, you know, he's one of my favorite people that I work with. Like, he's hilarious. Mm. And it's like, 
I, I didn't get that until I met him and, you know, was able to see kind of the person behind the screen. So I, I think that is really important to keep in mind. Like, you know, it's hard to pick out a personality in 140 characters, no matter how many tweets a person sends every day. Yeah. Right. And I certainly barrage your timelines. And as I always say, sorry for, uh, sorry for that. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you have to put up with me, everyone, but I, I, it is, it is definitely true. And I really hope I can get down to the senior bowl this year. I'm going to try to twist some arms at work and see if, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll send me probably, probably not, but, but we'll, but we'll try anyways. Uh, Mobile is a very affordable city if they want. So, uh, I, I funded a few of my first trips down there and I was always amazed at like, you know, how you could still get like a $50 hotel room in Mobile, Alabama. You know, it's, it's oh, pretty that's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm I'm used to having to pay uh pay for the dog too. Uh, they they always uh they always make sure to <laughs> spike up the charge for the dog friendly uh, hotels. But hey, I guess he might be worth it. You know, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> so Matt, just one question that I've always asked people on the show, and I think you might have already kind of answered it a little bit with with Twitter. But just a la- last couple questions here. What's something that you see, and maybe a different answer than the one you just gave. What's what what's something that you see in the industry? that you really don't care for or you don't like? Oh yeah. I think it's just the infighting, you know, like the, I work for Bleacher Report, you work for NFL.com, Washington Post. So we have to be enemies, you know, it's like, yeah. no, like it, it's not like that. Like it's not, well, I certainly don't like very much, Matt. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why we're, that's why we're doing this hour long <laughs> podcast is to try to heal our relationship. Right. <laughs> but I, I think that's like one of the big things is just the, you know, I don't know. There's a certain amount of ego that's always involved with, with, you know, reporting or analyzing. But I think that's one thing that I'm not a big fan of. It's just the, you know, I'm right. You're wrong. That they kind of exist out there instead of like, a, you know, like you might be right. Let's, let's see, you know, like you said, let's, let's wait and see, you know, we'll see what happens. So that's one of the things that I have a hard time with and not from like fans to analysts. Like I expect that, but oh, from yeah. like one professional to another, it's like, you know, this it, too often, I think there's a, a lot of ego that flies back and forth. So that's something that, that I've always struggled with. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the 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 hardest thing for me, because I feel like I'm a person who tries to give back a lot, especially to, to younger people who are just starting out. Um, so to have those people be like, oh, like, you know, why don't you answer my questions? Why aren't you want to help me? It's like, oh, I'm actually trying. I, I can't reply to every tweet I get. Right. So like, that's, that's a hard thing to have. You know, I guess we talked about preconceived notions. That's probably the biggest one that that I struggle with on a personal basis. Yeah, for sure. As, as a fantasy uh, analyst, it's always frustrating to have some some somebody ask you in your mentions like, "Hey, how come you never answer? You never answer any questions." I'm like, "Oh, buddy, if I, I take so yeah. much time out of my day to answer questions, if you knew, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah." yeah like I'm literally walking down the street. tweeting with uh while i'm walking the dog with different people hey it just you know the world doesn't revolve around you you specifically uh it's one person we're all on the earth together but matt final question here and i always give the guests you know one shot at the floor here before i yank it out from under you so kind of anything you want to say the floor is yours whether it's advice to writers coming in or just this that and the other like i said floor is yours Oh, wow. That's a lot of pressure. Um, I, I guess I would say because the question question I get asked most often is how do I like, how do I get your job is what people always say. Um, I, and I think the 
you know, we kind of danced around this a little bit, but I think work ethic is just a, a big, big part of it. You know, being willing to, you know, when I started at Bleach Report, it was, hey, we want a 100-page slideshow of the best players in the NFL, and will you do it? Like, yeah, of course I will. So I, I think just being willing to look for opportunities, being willing to outwork the competition, like that's such a, an important part of not only getting a job like mine, but lasting as long as I have in the industry is just being willing to outwork everyone else. So, you know, a lot of things are, it's going to come down to the opportunity. It's going to come down to who, you know, who can help you get your foot in the door. But once you get there, it's all about you. And, and I, I know, you, you know, your, your rise throughout the, the football industry is, is probably a credit to the same thing. You just, you really, at the end of the day, have to be willing to say, okay, what I'm doing today is going to take 15 hours. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to go out with my friends. You know, for me, it's like, I'm going to see my kids three hours today, but they're going to eat well tonight. So it's going to be worth it. You know, like sometimes you, you just have to be willing to, to make sacrifices. And I, I think that's a, a huge part of media right now because, you know, it's a, a landscape that's always changing and we're always being asked to do different things. So you really have to be willing to just work your ass off. Yeah, I think that is that is definitely true. And if there was one thing I said to myself when I started out, it was, you know, nobody was going to outwork me for it. Well, I don't know what, whether I make it or not, but yeah, and I think we definitely approach that the same way. Well, Matt, this was really fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. I really appreciate it. And I, and I know, like I said, I, I know that uh, this was something that you definitely try to make an effort to do is to talk to, you know, younger writers and reach out and from somebody that was there not long ago. I really, you know, I really appreciate you you taking the time to do that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I feel really lucky and fortunate to to have the platform that I have. So I, you know, I, I think I would be an arrogant jerk if I didn't try to help people, you know, realize the same thing. So you know, I, happy to be on. I'm a big fan of your work. Um, you know, it's you're doing with the reception perception thing. You're doing a lot of the grind work and and grunt work that no one no one likes doing that so it's great that there's someone out there like you who does you know want to, to track all of it and, and kind of put a unique spin on things you know so i uh I, i'm honored to be on man it's a lot of fun yeah no doubt well the world needs sickos like me who do enjoy uh that process we're all we're all meant to find the thing that we're crazy about and i i guess i i guess i found mine so uh but again matt thank you so much really appreciate the the kind words and, and to everyone listening of course, thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, it's really a treat to get to, to to get to share this with you. It's it's my pleasure. You know, I have I always say I have the best audience in the world, and you guys make it uh, make it a ton of fun to do this podcast. So, uh, of course, as always, if you could share the show, rate and review on iTunes, that stuff always helps. There's self promotional garbage out of the way. Thank you guys so much for listening today, and I hope you learned something.